welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things Black history and beyond. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 71 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and as always I will be your host today. Today we will be thinking about something that has happened in America of late. A lot of things have happened in America of late but one thing in particular um, and that is actually the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act that has been passed um, through the American court systems um, and become federal law in America. And we're going to think about the history um, of lynching in America. We're also going to think about um, what that impact might be um, on hate crimes in America. Those have spiked during the pandemic and, you know, post-pandemic. Um, although I don't feel like we're post-pandemic just yet, but I feel like in America they're a little bit more post-pandemic than maybe Britain is. Anyway, um, so yeah, we're going to think about all of that today. And obviously with something like lynching in the title, there of course um, must be um, a content warning because there will be conversations about you know extreme violence. We will be thinking about Emmett Till. Um, who was subject to horrendous violence um, as a child at the hands of a lynch mob and, you know, conversations about racism um, and murder. So please, again, this is another heavy episode. I don't know why I've been doing such heavy episodes recently. Maybe it's just the way that the world is kind of at the moment. But um, hoping for something lighter next week. Uh, But for now, that is this episode. Um, If you want something lighter... There are plenty of episodes in the back catalogue, so please do find something that is suitable for your day today. This episode today has quite a few parts to it. We're firstly thinking about the history of um, an anti-lynching act um, being passed through um, Congress and into federal law. We'll be thinking about Emmett Till and who he was and what happened to him and the kind of history of lynching in America. We'll also then be kind of fast forwarding to today and obviously the act being passed in the present day 2022 and what that means um you know for society americans um that might face hate crimes or that might be convicted of a hate crime and what what that will mean for those people um and interestingly enough and the reason i kind of picked to do um the episode on this is because it's not a clean cut celebration of this law Whilst there are points to celebrate um, and things to acknowledge, there are also things that, mm, you know, we might kind of have to question and and really think about what the impact of a law like this could actually mean for the people it might, you know, look like it's going to protect. Um, So we're going to be getting into all of that today on this episode. I hope you enjoy it um, and take away as much as you can from it. So the first thing to clear up is what is federal law? Why is it different to any other kind of law? Because obviously lynching is against the law um, in the sense that, you know, it's murder um, or manslaughter, depending on what you're tried on. Um, You might be tried on a hate crime if it was racially motivated and they can prove that. Um, But, you know, it going into federal law is a bigger deal. Um, federal laws are bills that have been passed through both houses of Congress, so House of Representatives and the Senate, which in the kind of British system is the like houses, House of Commons um, and the House of Lords. It's kind of not the same, but similar. Um, in America, both um, places have different roles, but kind of an equal role in passing through those laws. Um, then it has to either be signed by the president, obviously assuming they agree, Um you know, I said they agree, but it's always been a he. Wow, 
yeah, if he agrees. Um, and then passed over, or sorry, passed over by the um, president's veto, um, if they don't want to sign it for whatever reason, probably political or financial. Um, and then it's allowed to kind of become law without the president's signature. Um, this one was signed in by Joe Biden, um, and quite happily he seemed to do that um, at a ceremony that you can watch online if you would like to. Um, so that is kind of the difference. There's also things like state laws, which means that, you know, in certain states there are different laws. Um, so, for example, things like, I don't know, uh, abortion, controversial topic, um, marijuana and the consumption or smoking of it or anything else. Um, different states have different laws on it. Some laws it's decriminalised, some laws, some places, sorry, it's illegal. Um, it just depends where you're living and depends on the state having voted in that law or agreed on that law. Um, but this is federal, so this covers the whole of the country, um, which is what the push was for and specifically for lynching as opposed to just, say, murder, for example. So you might be thinking, well, why does this need to be federal law? Um, essentially, um, if you are convicted of lynching, you will face punishment of up to 30 years in prison um, at that level. This can also be stacked on top of charges of, like, murder or manslaughter or something else. Um, it means that, you know, not just... Now we think about lynching and we probably just think about um, black men in America um, and kind of that an era long ago as if it doesn't happen anymore. But, you know, people like Ahmaud Aubrey who were killed running, jogging, um, shot in the back, that would be, could be charged as a lynching. This also extends to things like kidnappings, aggravated sexual abuse um, or any attempts to kill um, and they will be prosecuted as lynchings in a federal court when a conspiracy to commit a hate crime results in death or serious bodily injury. And as I said, you could face up to 30 years in prison for that. Now, this bill has taken so long um, from kind of the time people started to try and get this passed um, through federal law. And, you know, it's had around 200 versions of an anti-lynching legislation and they have been failed to pass um through um into federal law a variety of times i think it's taken around 122 years i think the first attempt was in 1900 by the north carolina representative george henry white um who introduced a similar version um, of this act um and it's just taken such a long time that most people are kind of you know there isn't really the the jubilation that this would have probably maybe caused if it happened in 1900 or the civil rights era in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s even. But no, it's 2022 and it's happening now. Um, so it was um, voted in overwhelmingly. Um, I think the vote was around 422 to 3 on March the 7th. And then it passed in the Senate by unanimous consent. Um, the three House Republicans that voted against the measure, and I'm going to tell you their names, Andrew Clyde, representative of Georgia, Thomas Massey from Kentucky, and Chip Roy from Texas. I think that says enough about that. So as I mentioned, this was signed in by President Joe Biden on March 29th, um, and you kind of the official imagery of that um, signature happening, um, you know, he's with Kamala Harris, vice president, um, and also family members of the late Ida B. Wells, 
who um, was an anti-lynching campaigner and wrote a lot about that, um, and also Emmett Till's family, who was, the, the act is named after, um, and he was a 14-year-old boy that was violently um, beaten, lynched, murdered um, in 1955. He was only 14. Um, and I think having both of those people's family there, I think with Ida B. Wells, it was her great-granddaughter speaking. Um, with Emmett Till, his cousin that was with him when it happened, he's still alive today and he was there. Um, Emmett Till's mom has since passed away. Um, of course, you know, this happened in the 50s, which obviously in the grand scheme of things isn't that long ago, um, but she's no longer alive. Um, and other members of the family were all kind of there. Um, and obviously it's named after Emmett Till to really kind of mark, you know, that really dark stain on America's history. There's a lot of dark stains, but this one is extra dark. The boy was 14. Um, I'm not going to explain it myself, partly because I don't want to necessarily go through it all. Um, but I am going to use um, some clips and some audio um, that is taken from documentaries um, about Emmett Till's um, story and also from this historic law signing um, that makes lynching a federal crime. And just a warning that the information shared is violent um, and graphic um, and details for abuse, violence um, and death. 14-year-old Emmett Till was brutally murdered August 28, 1955. He had been accused of wolf-whistling at a white woman, Carolyn Bryant, and dragged out of his great-uncle's home in Money, Mississippi, in the middle of the night, where his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, had sent him from Chicago for the summer. Several days later, his brutally beaten, disfigured body weighted down with a 75-pound cotton gin fan tied to his body with barbed wire was pulled out of the Tallahatchie River. The LaFleur County Sheriff attempted to force the immediate burial, burial of Emmett Till, but Mamie Till intervened and paid almost a year's salary for his body to be shipped back to Chicago. There, the funeral director refused to open the box for her to view her son's corpse. Give me a hammer, Mamie Till demanded. He relented and allowed her to view Emmett's mutilated remains. By then, the murder had sparked outrage across the nation. Mamie Till Mobley insisted Emmett receive an open casket funeral. Let the world see what I've seen, she said. And now we'll hear from Mamie Till Mobley um, speaking about what she did see. This clip is taken from um, Emmett Till, The Untold Story, that was a documentary that was released, um, you know, to, to tell his story and to, to tell what happened um, in 1955. Um, and this is just a clip from it. Again, it contains quite distressing descriptions of violence. I saw his tongue had been choked out and it was lying down on his chin. I saw that uh, this eye was out and it was lying about midway the cheek. I looked at this eye and it was gone. I looked at the bridge of his nose and it looked like someone had taken a meat chopper. Well, I looked at Mr. Rayner and Mr. Rayner wanted to know, was I going to have the casket opened? I said, oh yes, we're gonna open the casket. 
he said, well, Miss Bradley, do you want me to uh, do something for the face? Want me to try to fix it up? I said, no, let the people see what I've seen. I said, I want the world to see this because there's no way I could tell this story and give them the visual picture of what my son looked like. Now, that was only the story of, of Emmett Till, um, but just to kind of put this into context, there have been, um, and this is from the Tuskegee Institute, um, estimated around 3,446 lynchings of black people and 1,297 of white people from the years 1882 and 1968. I don't have like data on anyone outside of racial categories of black and white. Um, they just aren't available. However, those numbers alone are quite staggering. Um, lynchings peaked in the 1980s, um, in part due to economic stresses and also political suppression um, that was happening, especially in the southern states at the time. Um, and not to say that that's where the world is right now, but in times of economic stress, crime goes up, hate crimes go up. People like to find a scapegoat to, you know, kind of answer as to why there are problems, someone to blame. And so I think about it being passed in 2022 and, you know, you have to link it to, you know, what is actually happening right now in the world. It also has to be said, in the case of Emmett Till, the fact that um, Mamie Till Mobley wanted everybody to see that boy's face. And the pictures, because there was an open casket funeral, and this is coming into the peak of the civil rights movement, and this was one of the events that, you know, really sparked up outrage and disgust and anger about what was happening um, in America. And, you know, it led to more mobilisations and, you know, protests and people really coming together to try and fight this racism as a system, as overt racism, being lynched on the streets, um, you know, being denied housing, jobs and all the things that come along with racism. Um, but essentially, if um, Mamie Till Mobley had not made that decision um, and had let them talk her out of um, having the casket open and there being pictures of that, I don't think anyone would believe what she said. Um, to be honest, um, a black woman from Chicago whose son went to um, Mississippi for the summer to stay with his grandparents you know, it probably wasn't shocking to those living it as to what had happened, but the extent and the brutality of it is something that made this kind of lynching stand out above others. And he was 14, so, so young. Um, and I don't really want to give too much power to that woman that accused him of whistling. Um, however, it's been, I think, recently there was an alleged conversation that she had had where she had apparently denied that he even whistled. Um, but that has also been um, disputed by her and by um, other people that were around at the time, apparently. Um, so I'm not going to call anyone a liar um, or, you know, shift or pass a verdict on this situation. But realistically, if somebody, even if 
somebody, a 14-year-old boy whistles, did it, <laughs> of course it didn't warrant that, um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation, I think, and a very unique one to America, this kind of violence, whilst racism is very pervasive in the UK, it's a very different kind of racism, historically, although, unfortunately, um, and if you've listened to past episodes, um, I've spoken about black men being lynched in this country as well, so it's not something that is, you know, exclusive or unique to the United States. Racism sometimes functions in similar ways. Actually, always functions in similar ways, um, despite geographical differences um, a lot of the time. And so we're going to move on. I think, you know, the Emmett Till case is something I'll leave to you if you want to know more about. There is that documentary available. You can look at the pictures. Um, you can hear from, I think, as well, his cousin that was there with him at the time. He's a reverend now. He's about, well, he's about 82. I think he's two years older than Emmett. Um, and so you can hear his testimony of what happened as well. Um, and I've listened to his before, and he speaks about the fact that the lynch mob came to the grandparents' house to pick up Emmett after they decided he deserved that. And... The grandparents begged and pleaded and said, please, we'll give you any money, just leave him alone. Whatever you want, you can take it, just leave him alone. Like, he didn't mean it, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, it, they, you know, to no avail, he was dragged out of his house and he was found in um, the river later, days later, um, in the condition that Mary Tomobley described. And now to think about the impact it might have on hate crimes moving forward in the future and today. Now, Cara Gotcht, who is a deputy director of the Sentencing Project, argues that loading up sentences, um, stacking, compiling them, as in murder on top of a lynching charge, on top of this or that or the other, does more harm than good. Because hate crime laws, such as the Anti-Lynching Act, um, aren't so far proven to actually deter hate crimes. And that's kind of the main criticism of this act, now, I don't really have strong opinions on either. I'm not an expert in law enforcement or hate crimes or anything like that. Um, but I think it's interesting to actually to consider what this might do. You know, will it will it stop hate crimes? Will it stop lynchings? What is the impact that it will have? And this argument is that um, the certainty of a punishment is more likely to prevent crimes than the severity. And this speaks on the fact that it's so hard to prosecute someone or charge someone and actually get it to stick when you're thinking about um, racial abuse or um, hate crimes due to race. Because unless words have specifically been said that have been, you know, caught as evidence um, by a reputable witness or camera or, you know, some, some kind of audio, it's very hard to prove that someone was racially motivated in their attack. Um, and obviously a lawyer defending someone that has um, murdered someone racially motivated will just think of another reason that they did it so they won't go down on that charge and it's really common that pro like prosecutors or um, yeah prosecutors don't manage to get people on that charge and they don't often try because you know they don't want the ch certain charges to be thrown out um, so they won't kind of bother so I it is an interesting point um, if we were sure and if um, people were sure that they would go to prison for hate crimes then it would be the case that they probably would you know be deterred from doing them as opposed to really long sentences um, like the anti-lynching act is bringing in 30 years um, 
Also, interestingly, the second point is, you know, the prison system in America, um, the business that is prisons and locking people up and locking black people up at a disproportionate rate to their white counterparts. Um, You know, it's all it's financial. It's political. It's putting money in the pockets of a certain group of people um, at the expense of the free labor of, as I said, those disproportionate black um, and Latino, Hispanic people that live in America. Um, And of course, white people get arrested too. But in terms of numbers and percentage of the population, black people are disproportionately represented in the prison system. Um, And for a whole load of reasons um, that would require a whole episode to go into. Um, However, and I'm thinking about England when I say this point, um, it's a bit of a roundabout one, but I'll get there. Data in the US has shown that hate crime laws actually disproportionately target black people. And the case that comes to mind in the UK is a man called Michael X, Michael DeFreitas. He was the first person ever to be <laughs> arrested and charged um, it, again in, like against the uh, Race Relations Act that was passed in the 60s. So it wasn't a white person, even though we know there were many acts of racism and violence and terror towards black people from white people in the 60s in Britain. It was actually a black man that was first charged um, and arrested. So, you know, a a law that was meant to protect people like him in the end sent him to prison. And I've mentioned him before and I am researching an episode on him because he's such an interesting character. Um, And I that episode will be coming very soon. So I won't give too much away, but. That's what came to mind when I when I read that. Um, and, you know, the fact that black Americans are literally propping up the criminal system. Um, you know, how often are these laws actually going to protect the people it's meant to protect? Or is it going to lead to them being stacked up with charges upon charges um, and being even more represented in the prison system? Now... That is kind of the two sides of this coin, essentially, in this debate and this argument. Um, and I didn't want to just kind of give you this um, Emmett or anti-lynching act and say it's all sunshine and roses. Hate crimes are going to stop in America because we know that's not the case. Um, but to hear that flip side as well, um, for me, it was interesting food for thought. Um, and especially when we think about policing in the US, there are calls to defund. There are calls to abolish completely the prison system. Um, I haven't read enough on either of those Um lines of argument so I won't give my opinion on it but um you know that those arguments are important in in a case like this um where lynching is going into federal law um because when we think about it you know Ahmad Aubrey 25 year old um jogger 2020 was killed by three men who shot in the back um they were convicted of federal hate crimes however they're waiting for sentencing um Dylan Roof who killed nine people in the church in South Carolina, black people. He was also um, convicted of federal hate crimes um, and has been sentenced to death, actually, um, because of the state he's done that in. Um, And that's where state law differs from uh, federal law, because um, there's a death penalty in some states in America. Um, Now, lynching would be something that would maybe stack on top of those, because they were actually... um, convicted of hate crimes because of internet search histories words they said the fact that 
um, bits of court on camera in Ahmad Aubrey's case, it was easy to do. But we know that we've seen so many murders of black people in that country and, you know, or heard of. And to prove that they are that is difficult. Um, one of the most recent cases, 2021 December, was a man called Peter Bernardo Spencer, um, a Jamaican-born man who was shot nine times in the back and also in the bottom um, to suggest he was moving away and not antagonising or, you know, attacking because he was shot in the back. Um, and, you know, it's been kind of argued that it was a modern-day lynching. It was um, a group of white men that he was out in the kind of forest woodland area with um that ended his life um and you know will will they be tried under this will people be able to prove that it is what it is um or what we think it is um allegedly so it's an interesting one um and there are you know cases today that unfortunately show that you know this pervasive violence racism and you know lynching is, is still happening which just feels it just feels so wrong and like something of the past but it, it really isn't and and I think that's the most unfortunate thing about the whole thing I wanted to leave you with some final words from the great-granddaughter of Ida B Wells Barnett um, who I said um, was an anti-lynching journalist an investigative journalist um, and you know was born enslaved in Mississippi in 1862 same state where Emmett Till was lynched 93 years later um, and, you know, she visited William McKinley, the president, in 1898 to urge him to make it a federal climb. And that was 124 years ago. And here is her great granddaughter now at that moment where it's being signed in. Anne and I are honored to be here and represent our great grandmother, Ida B. Wells Barnett, who once said, our country's national crime is lynching. She was born enslaved in 1862, Holly Springs, Mississippi, the same state where 14-year-old Hemet Till was lynched 93 years later. And in 1898, in response to the lynching of Postmaster Fraser Baker in Lake City, South Carolina, she visited President William S. McKinley right here in Washington to urge him to make lynching a federal crime. Since my great-grandmother's visit to the White House 124 years ago, there have been over 200 attempts to get legislation enacted. But we finally stand here today, generations later, to witness this historic moment of President Biden signing the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill into law. So a long history for this bill it has been, and for many a long time coming. That is all I have time for on today's podcast, but I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the History Hotline. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend. To continue the conversation about black history, head over to our social media platforms at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter.